Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, uh, second try at this, Eric Green. Eric, how is it going on this uh, less stormy but not really much nicer Tuesday uh, compared to when we tried to record yesterday? Uh, it's sunny. It's sunny right now where I am in the east end of Toronto. But uh, you lucky. But that could change. I have softball tonight and. Uh, a pivotal, a pivotal seventh place game to end out the spring season, and uh, and I'm worried we're going to be rained out. But the weather hasn't really cooperated for uh, the isotopes this year. Well, you know, that's are, are you might be the bringer of rain yourself tonight. You know, that's, that's um, all you can hope for. That's for another podcast. Yes, that is for another podcast. Uh, the slowest team in baseball podcast. <laughs> Um, I just saw that. Yeah, uh, for anyone who doesn't get that joke, uh, Darren Willman, who's awesome at MLB.com and is responsible for all the baseball savants stat cast data, um, came up with speed metrics for every player in baseball, and the Jays have the slowest player at three positions. Yeah. They are uh, as close to a slow-pitch team as you'd get. Yeah, and uh, it's taken them a real long time to get the 500, too. Yes, 500, a mark the Raptors have safely been above for a couple years now. Um, so let's is, blow it up. Yeah, blow it up. I mean, that's a that's an option. We're gonna talk about it. It's one of the five paths we're gonna talk about, Eric. Oh yes. One of the five paths. Before we talk about the five paths, let's talk about, talk about how we tried to record this yesterday, and now we're sort of imitating our own uh, conversation that we had oh eighteen hours ago, twenty hours ago. Yeah, it's uh, a. Chem- I hate when this chem- happens. If the chemistry feels off, it's because we're just, you know, we're just trying to imitate ourselves and, and are not really, you know, flowing and and uh, into uh, the the moment. It's just we you tried know, to record I'm... yesterday. We got a forty minutes of what was maybe a decent podcast. Um, the audio quality would have been fine for a change, and then the file got corrupted, and you could only make out me, which no one wants. Um, Eric's the star here. Yeah, um, I'm, uh, and I'm in my own head now. So if yeah. the audio isn't corrupted, the uh, content the will be as a whole will be at least marginalized. Um, okay, so I, I guess we start off the the original recording by getting your take on Glow. <laughs> the new Netflix series, which I haven't watched yet, even though you'd think that um, Alison Brie and wrestling on a, in a Netflix show would be enough to get me to jump in right away. Um, are you, you watched more of it last night instead of the NBA awards. Night. I finished it last night. Oh, wow. I very gladly did not watch the NBA awards. Um, I saw there was a bit with DeMar DeRozan in defense. Yes. Uh, uh, hilarious. Yes. Um, yeah, it's good. Everybody should watch it. It's really fun. The lead performances of uh, Alison Brie, Mark Maron, and Betty Gilpin are all uh, excellent. Oh, you know uh, her name today. I did know. I I, uh, I read a few interviews this morning, um, so excellent. I've done added research. This podcast is already better. There you go. 
Um, we also uh, have the actual awards show to talk about, which I want to touch on when you're done with your glow review. Okay. Well, my glow review is glowing. Yes. Uh, it's yeah, it's just a lot of fun, and then at the end, you know, the last third or the last quarter of the season is really. And it's only ten episodes long, and each episode is about a half hour, so you can knock it out in one rainy weekend day. Uh, it's surprisingly resonant at the end, uh, and, and I'd say watching Allison Bree's character Ruth try to land on her character, uh, her wrestling character, is uh, you know it's it's pretty it's a pretty gratifying journey that she goes on, and that the whole fledgling operation goes on. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's been a while since I've mainlined a show uh, that quickly. Well, that's great. Um, it, it shouldn't be surprising that it's great, not just because of Alison Brie uh, and some of the other cast that on it, that's on it, but also it's just when you take a real sport like wrestling, it's easy yeah. to write uh, a story that feels real, unlike fake sports like basketball and baseball where they always come out feeling a little contrived. Um, you, know, yeah. you get great things like The Wrestler or Glow when it's uh, about a real sport. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so while you were watching Glow, some of us were watching LeVar Ball on Monday Night Raw and his son LaMelo drop uh, two profanities on a live mic on a live TV broadcast. Others were watching the NBA Awards. I just want to go quickly through this. Uh, the Raptors received some award votes. The Raptors did not receive any awards unless you count, um, which we knew before. DeMar DeRozan named to the All-NBA third team. Jerry Stackhouse was the D-League Coach of the Year. Eddie Tavares was the D-League Defensive Player of the Year. And Eddie Tavares and Axel Tupon were named to all D-League teams. There were some Raptors getting some votes last night, though, and I want your take on some of these. Uh, DeMar DeRozan receiving one third-place vote for Most Improved Player from Ryan Wolstead of the Toronto Sun. Uh... I, I could you can make a case for that given the the start and finish of the season he had the improvements he made in his game. The more interesting I would never, one, argue, I would never argue with the was. No, the unreasonableist himself. <laughs> uh, the more interesting one, and we don't have full voting yet, so we don't know who cast this vote. Demar Derozan received one fifth place vote for most valuable player. Yeah, that's uh, not a good vote. It's not not a great vote. And I thought DeRozan was very, very good last year, but uh, so were a lot of players yeah. who are just more complete and mean more to their teams. And that's not to disparage DeMar DeRozan. He just wasn't one of the most five or even ten valuable players in the league last year. Yeah, He finished uh, 11th in voting points by way of his one-fifth place vote. Um, Chris Bosh has the highest... A Raptors ever finished in the voting. He finished seventh one year. Mm. Also receiving some votes. Uh, Jakob Pertl for All-Rookie Second Team, which, sure, he had a, a nice season, albeit in a small role. Fred Van Vliet also getting one vote for All-Rookie Second Team. Uh, you know how big a fan I am of Fred Van Vliet's game. He played 290 minutes last year. Uh, yeah, like it's, it's objectively wrong, but also the rookie class was so underwhelming as a whole that, like, I don't care. Like sure, yes. like give 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 whoever votes. Like the you know there were maybe three or four rookies you could legitimately feel good about last year. Poor Pascal Siaka, man. You flip his first half and his second half, and he's on that second team. He gets Fred VanVleet's one vote. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, PJ Tucker received three votes for all defense second team. 
Serge Ibaka received one. Masai Jiri received three third place, or two third place votes for Executive of the Year uh, for making a pair of season-saving trade deadline acquisitions. Dwayne Casey received one second place vote and two third place votes for Coach of the Year, placing ninth overall. Um, Damari Carroll was the Atlantic Division nominee for the NBA Sportsmanship Award. He placed sixth, which, you know, I know people have their feelings about Damari Carroll, the basketball player. Never let it be forgotten that Damari Carroll, the person, is a very good dude. And, now, quite a, and quite a sportsman. Yes. Why doesn't Mike Conley win the Sportsmanship Award every year? I don't know. Shouldn't he? I guess so. I mean, I don't play with and against these guys. I don't really know how sportsmanlike they are. Well, he's never had a technical. You never see him in the middle of skirmishes. I, I, like, I don't know. Mike Conley, it's like how Pop should be the coach of the year every year. Mike Conley is the most sportsmanlike player. That's fair. Um, Objectively and provable. Perhaps the most interesting <laughs> voting result, and this is the last one we'll talk about, uh, as it pertains to the Raptors offseason, as it pertains to maybe the reputation of certain players around the league, Kyle Lowry placed eighth in teammate of the year voting and had a fair number of votes. Were you surprised um, by this? All I can say without giving away too much is I've at least I'm not sure how it's currently done, but if it's done in the same way that it that it's done, that it was done a few years back. I've seen how the teammate of the year sausage gets made, and it does not mean much. Okay. I can't because I, I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn. Um, but I, I don't, I think, I think like you can't vote for your own teammates, but then how would you know how somebody is as a teammate? It's like voting on secondhand information. Um, so like, are you just voting for guys who share your, uh, see, I've already said too much, but now we're here. I don't think anybody's going to care. Um, or I'll lose my PBWA accreditation, whatever. Um, like are you just voting for guys who share an agent? I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I've definitely not heard that happening. But, like, if you've never been teammates with Vince Carter, how would you know how good of a teammate Vince Carter is? Yeah, I guess people talk, maybe, but... Yeah, but but that doesn't... Like, you know, I've before I met you, I heard what a nice guy you were. And then I met you, and it wasn't true. So, like, secondhand information isn't reliable. This is true. This is not uh, not particularly useful information. Not a, I mean, look, most of the names on the list every year seem to be guys who are generally thought of as good guys. And here's what I'll say: like based on the way Kyle Lowry plays, I'd love to like I'd love to play with him. So right. if that's what people are basing that on, uh, I mean, if I were an elite basketball player, currently I would not love to play with him. I got schooled by a 16-year-old Greek kid the other day it was not good um but like his style is it's engaging and it's hyper competitive and he's the type of guy you want on your team so if that's how people are voting on the award i can totally see how that happens um but i'm not sure how people are voting on the award and honestly my bet is they're really not putting that much thought into it but good for lowry he seems like he would be a good teammate well eric he may not be a teammate of the Toronto Raptors for much longer. Yeah, it's uh, four days till Saturday. Yes. On 
Friday, as Friday turns into Saturday at the stroke of midnight, NBA free agency will open. Uh, nothing could be officially made uh, official. Uh, to, to <laughs> nothing could be made official. Yeah, uh, until noon on July 6th. But as of midnight on July 1st, teams can negotiate with players. They can, you know, handshake, agree to deals. Uh, restricted free agents can be signed to offer sheets. Uh, all that good stuff starts, um, you know, right smack in the middle of a long weekend. Uh, the That's Raptors... All. Obviously, as we've talked about lots here, face an interesting offseason. Kyle Lowry is an unrestricted free agent. Serge Ibaka, P.J. Tucker, Patrick Patterson, all also unrestricted free agents. Um, they are, the Raptors own the bird rights, the full bird rights on all four, which means they can exceed the cap to sign them for whatever amount they want. Um, but at a certain point, they'll push up against the luxury tax. Um, if they hit what's called the luxury tax apron, uh, which I'll go into in a, in a piece for The Athletic on Wednesday, uh, then they would trigger all sorts of hard caps and other limitations they have some flexibility, they have some money to spend, uh, but they won't be able to keep everyone, which has led our own Eric Green to write a piece about the five different paths. Five, uh, maybe being more paths than you, the listener, thought were on the table, but last Tuesday at pre-draft media availability, Masai Jury, uh, often... I have, the, I have the direct quote in front of me. Give it to us. The direct quote was, well, I asked if he thought there might be a middle path between trying to be good and trying to not be good or blowing it all up. He said, there might be a middle path. I don't know. We have to study the middle path too. You have to study all of them. There is no way you can overlook anything. There's probably like five different scenarios we've looked at and studying them very hard to see where they take us. There you go. That's, that's Masai on Tuesday before the draft. Five different scenarios. Most have assumed there were three, and uh, the, those three being uh, the Raptors try to remain good. Kyle Lowry is back. They do their best to keep some of the other free agents, maybe shedding a salary here or there. Uh, the team mostly looks like it looked at the end of last season, and they try to be good a while longer. Number two being they blow it all up, which might mean letting all four free agents walk, trying to spend that money on a younger guy, uh, maybe even exploring trading to Marta Rosen. The middle path, uh, in non-specific terms, was just you lose Lowry and you still try to be good. Uh, I understand a lot of different perspectives on this offseason. The half-measure one doesn't has never really resonated with me because you're lowering uh, your ceiling and you're not lowering your floor enough. You're basically too good to tank and you're not good enough to be competitive. Uh, so why go that route? But Eric, you have two more paths than I do. You have... Looked into the mind of Masai Jiri yeah. and come up with five different paths instead of the three that my small brain yeah. can, can come up with. Tell us a little bit about the five paths uh, and well, when I people can expect that article, too. Yeah, we've probably talked about the first three in general. And the tanking path, it's important to point out that that might not all happen over one summer because that's just a lot of stuff to happen. Like, Putting together a trade for DeMar DeRozan after free agency might not be an ideal time. It might be easier during the course of the season. Uh, if you're going to trade Corey Joseph or Jonas Valanciunas as part of that path, which I'm not sure you need to in order to be a pretty bad team, uh, like if they're your best players, I, I think the Raptors might be pretty bad. Um, but th these moves, like, you know, the CBA is complicated. It takes a while to do uh, or to go through it and make every move you want to make. And if it's clear that you're desperate to accelerate that, then you sort of lose all your negotiating um, path. 
or you're negotiating uh, uh, flex or control. There's a word I'm looking for that I can't come up with, and who cares? Um, but let's get to the fourth and fifth path, since you did a good job of summarizing the first three, uh, such as they are. The fourth path is they trade for Paul George, which we all know is going to probably happen. Uh, I, I tried in this uh, exercise, I tried to stay away from uh, predicting trades or using the trade machine just because in so many of the moves that the Raptors might want to make, whether it's offloading a salary uh, like Valanchunas or Carroll, we don't know exactly who's going to have the room to absorb the contracts after free agency is done, assuming those trades don't happen until after free agency. But I decided to have a little fun here, even though I think there are several teams that are far more likely to trade for Paul George than the Raptors. Uh, the Raptors could obviously offer an all-star to the Pacers, and I, I made up a trade in which DeRozan and uh, our good friend Bebe are traded to Indiana for Paul George and Al Jefferson. Um, and, uh, yeah. So how do you feel about that roster? How do you feel about a starting five of Kyle Lowry, Norm Powell, Paul George, PJ Tucker, and Serge Ibaka? I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a strong starting five. If a little undersized, you might have some rebounding issues, but you have a little bit more shooting. You have a little bit more dynamism, I guess is the word. Um, I would wonder if in that scenario, they still don't start Jonas Valanciunas and just start one of... Powell or Tucker, but uh, it, it's interesting, and it's uh, well. They would also be over the tax in this scenario and have to find a way to to trade somebody. Yes. Um, so in that's... this case, when you have all those wings, yeah. Anyway, um, it's interesting, and it's um, you call it the one year experiment because George is obviously an unrestricted free agent. So there's a lot of risk here with signing Lowry and Ibaka to longer term deals and then trading for a guy and an expiring because um, you know you may accidentally make the, the back years on a Lowry and a Baca deals um, worse because you're not as competitive. Uh, but it does raise your ceiling for this one one year, I think. And DeMar DeRozan is awesome, but Paul George is a bit more um, malleable a piece when designing a system at both ends of the floor. The fact that he's a top-flight defender, can shoot the three a little bit. Um, he's a very, very nice player, and that's not to disparage DeRozan. They are roughly in the same class, but George is better. So I think, you know... On, on sheer basketball terms for one year, that makes you better. It's just a lot more risk. Um, the question I want to ask you, Eric, though, is in any DeRozan negotiation, whether it's this one for Paul George, whether it's the tanking scenario where the Raptors would have to let him go maybe because, to be honest, DeRozan is too good to tank with. You're going to win 30 to 35 games and end up with the number 5 to 8 pick again. Would Masai Ujiri feel the need to hit a home run because of the fact that um, DeRozan is a homegrown talent that he's been kind of the face of the franchise through this era because, you know, even though Kyle Lowry is the best player on this team, the bulk of the fan base believes DeMar DeRozan is the best player on this team. And because he's the first superstar that's ever wanted to stay for a third year. DeRozan is so important to the franchise and the organizational equity that they've built up um, and who they are from a character perspective. Do you think Ujiri would approach a trade like this or any DeRozan trade where, you know, there's almost like a, an implied premium on what you have to get back because of, you know, in... Look, Ujiri is cold and calculating in sheer basketball terms, but there is a there are non-basketball reasons that DeRozan is additionally important to the franchise, and it's part of why, you know, they paid 
probably more than DeRozan's worth in a vacuum uh, in the market on the market last summer. Um, so do, would Ujiri have to hit a home run to justify trading DeRozan? Um, I think there's two separate things that make assessing DeRozan's value very difficult. The first is what you just mentioned. Now, I think Masai Ujiri has a long history, going back to his Denver days, of being able to operate uh, when he needs to from a business perspective. So if he thought this was the best move or if he thought the Raptors need to tank and we can't have DeMar DeRozan anymore, and even if the the value isn't what I'd like, it's the best way for this franchise to go forward, I think he would get there. I think, um, you know, we heard him talk at the end of the season saying he has carte blanche from ownership to spend into the tax or and carte blanche to blow it all up. So I think he would get himself there. But also, the you know, not only to fans, he's built up this organizational equity and respect around the league to where people, you know, the Raptors aren't a free agent destination right now, but, you know, they're talking about the franchise a lot more highly than we were five, ten years ago. Uh, so do you want to blow or risk blowing that all up? That's a tougher question. And I think that's something that Jerry would have to uh, really think about. Um, but ultimately, I think he's a guy that would be able to get himself to the point that, you know, whatever's best for this organization, that's my job. That's what I have to do. The complicating factor from the other end is how much is he worth? Is DeMar DeRozan worth? Um, because he's a difficult piece to just plop in to an NBA team. He is not uh, an accomplished three-point shooter. His defensive acumen is wanting, uh, and he's a good passer when he has the ball, but he's not necessarily, you know, a swing, swing, swing passer uh, and, and that useful off the ball. Uh, so, you know, we made, you know, the whole NBA uh, Twitter and NBA internet made fun of the Bulls haul for the Chicago Bull or for Jimmy Butler, I think it would probably be less for DeRozan, uh, especially considering he's on, as you said, a four-year deal that, um, well, I don't th I don't think it's in any means like a bad, horrible deal. It's not like a cap-friendly deal like Jimmy Butler, two years at $38 million or whatever it is. Uh, uh, so it's a complicated piece to move for sure. Yeah, that's I, I agree pretty much across the board with that. And he's... Yeah, you talk about the Butler return. I mean, Chicago kind of bungled that and probably could have gotten a better return and definitely didn't need to throw the number 16 back in. Um, you, you would trust that Ujiri would kind of win those little things in a deal where Chicago failed, but it, it would be a complicated scenario. Um, yeah, but in, in a Paul George scenario, Indiana also wants to win. I mean, you always want yes. to win the little things, but you're trading like a franchise player who... Uh, you know, four or five teams, and then, you know, the Cavs as well are, like, trying to move mountains to acquire, even without a guarantee of keeping them in town. So, um, you know, that's obviously why this scenario is probably the most unlikely of the five uh, that I've uh, sort of divined here. The other, then, is the one we haven't talked about yet, uh, the Rewind. The Rewind. 
The Toronto Raptors started last year 23-11. and 11. Do you remember that? I do. And they didn't have P.J. Tucker or Serge Ibaka. That was a pretty good Eastern Conference basketball team. Well, the thing about that, Eric, <laughs> is that it's a make-or-miss league. <laughs> it is. And it they, is. Were, they were making a lot of shots. Yeah, so to spell out this scenario, uh, Lowry's back, Patterson's back, the two guys they traded for are gone. Um, maybe they can get somebody on the what would likely be the taxpayer mid-level um, to uh, to come and augment the core like Jared Selinger was intended to last year uh, and did not. Uh, I don't think that's likely. I mean, part of the justification for trading for Tucker and Ibaka was to acquire their bird rights and hopefully get a whole training camp with one or both of them. Uh, I don't think Kyle Lowry wants to come back to Toronto to lead the 2014-15 or 15-16 Toronto Raptors, minus some guys. But they're, you know, in this in this unlikely path defense, you've got these six or seven young guys who, if they can incrementally grow, can make that team a better team. Um, but I don't think it's likely. Yeah, and I don't think it's really worthwhile. You didn't give up assets to land Tucker and Ibaka and their bird rights. Look, I, I know there's a certain amount of money at which, you know, if Ibaka's going to command $30 million, then you're out on him. Um, yeah. If, if there's the potential for Tucker to say, no, I want to play for, you know, Cleveland or Golden State or San Antonio or whoever, um, these players are free. And they yeah. have their agency. Yeah. Hence the, the term free agent. Um, yeah, that's not a desirable scenario. So... I'm guessing you see the most likely scenario as the re-up, where three of the four free agents are brought back and maybe one other piece is shed to lessen the luxury tax bill? Yeah, and I mean, the re-up could also be just Ibaka and Lowry, maybe, and, and they don't find a way to get Patterson and Tucker back, and they look to try and add elsewhere um, but still the same general idea where you're moving on from a contract you have, hopefully, and using some exception to maybe balance out your roster. But I think that, you know, the more we hear them talk, the more we talk to them, uh, they want Kyle Lowry back. There's a price probably where it becomes like, okay, you can leave. But I think... Uh, I think they'd rather stay competitive uh, than to go down this, you know, we're tearing it down, uh, rebuild. Uh, and I and those are, you know, in broad strokes, those are the two most likely paths uh, that I see. Yeah, the thing with Lowry, too, is, um, you know, you mentioned wanting him back or whatever. Um, his Even if the Raptors want to play a little bit of hardball, there is that wiggle room, right? Where the Raptors, even not giving him his full max, can still give him more than anyone else can. Uh, yeah. Lowry's maximum salary on a four-year deal with another team is $149 million, roughly, based on current salary cap estimates. His four-year max with the Raptors would be $155.2 million. That $6.2 million difference maybe isn't enough um, if there are other teams lined up to give him the full max. However, the Raptors can offer a fifth-year they don't need to go to $201 million on Lowry's full five-year max. There's that entire band between 149 and 201 that they could negotiate within where Lowry would stand to make more total money than he would 
uh, make on another deal elsewhere, especially since, you know, if you look at a five-year window, the deal he's likely to get if he yeah. signs a one-year deal at age 35 is probably going to be pretty small. Yeah, he's not going to sign a one-year $25 million deal at age 35 or whatever. And there's, you know, security costs money. So uh, it's not a slam dunk that Lowry's going to be back. Uh, it's not a sure thing that the Raptors will be willing to offer more than $149 million. Um, I know Zach Lowe on the Low Post this week said something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing here, so don't quote exactly, but, um, you know, maybe a reasonable max to offer Lowry is only four years and $100 million, given the market for him and his age and everything. Um, there are there's there are bands to negotiate within there. Uh, Eric, uh, we talked about it yesterday on the podcast that doesn't exist. Uh, you could see the Kyle Lowry situation dragging out a couple days rather than a DeMar DeRozan scenario where, you know, 3 a.m. on July 1st, DeRozan had a deal. Well, yeah, because I don't think the Raptors are going to come with a five-year, $185 million deal off the bat. Like, uh, I think they're more content to let the league set the marketplace and see where that is. And I think the... Free agent, if there is a free agent who's going to hold things up this year, is probably Chris Paul. Uh, other than like Gordon Hayward, which seems like a very Boston or Utah type scenario. I would like, be shocked if the city of Boston wanted Gordon Hayward. Oh, Blake. Yes. Uh, when they were cheering on Gordon Hayward as he beat the Celtics earlier this year. <laughs> He's so plucky. Gordon Hayward's really good. Um, anyway, uh, but like Chris, it's a it's a very deep point guard market. You have Drew Holiday, you have Chris Paul, you have Kyle Lowry, you have George, George Hill, um, and I think Paul is the guy who like a lot of the teams who might who might be interested in Kyle Lowry. Their first effort is going to be with Paul, and what can I mean? Paul is going to get the max somewhere. Uh, I think that's safe to say. As he uh, should. He's, you know, one of the top five point guards of all time. Point god. Um, but I think if you're Kyle Lowry, you let you let that happen because you want to see what your market is and how many teams are chasing you. And if a team strikes out, if a team, and this is assuming that everybody can create the space that they're looking to create, but... If Houston doesn't get Chris Paul, what is Houston going to do to get Kyle Lowry? Uh, is San Antonio, which we have heard isn't interested in Kyle Lowry, is that a smokescreen? Um, there's so many factors at play. Is Minnesota going to get involved now that yeah. Lowry would seem to be a good fit if they can find a home for um, handsome Ricky Rubio? So if the Raptors don't come with a home run offer at the beginning, like they did with DeRozan last year, and for a number of factors, his age, uh, the the positional, you know, competition, the, the seeming lack of market, maybe where supply outpaces demand, maybe, um, or demand being, you know, the need for a point guard and the ability to spend the appropriate money to sign a free agent point guard. Uh, I just see this maybe taking longer than a few hours. Um, and I'd be surprised if this was a, you know, a July 1 thing where Kyle Lowry tweets uh, that he, you know, he's holding up the Toronto Raptors jersey and saying, I'm back, baby. Although I've been wrong before. So we'll see. Rarely, though. That happens. Yeah. 
Um, okay, uh, one more thing before before we go, and we're working well, backwards here a little bit because I forgot yeah. to ask you about it off the top. Let's go quickly on OG Ananobi. Yeah, there you go. The Raptors made OG Ananobi the number 23 pick in the draft. Both of us have written about it at the Athletic Toronto uh, last week. It's probably a little bit stale to discuss at this point, uh, but I think it's relevant to the five different paths that Eric has laid out in that OG Ananobi fits in any of them. If the Raptors are going to remain good now, they are a 50-win team using a 23, uh, 23rd overall pick where the expectation should not be that that guy contributes right away. Pascal Siakam was the exception, not the rule, and it wasn't the plan. It was based on injury. Um, even if Ananobi were completely healthy, and for those who aren't aware, he tore his ACL in January. Um, timelines have varied publicly a little bit, but we might be looking at November, December before he's back on the court. Um, the Raptors wouldn't have planned for him to play a major role out of the gate anyway, because he's a 19-year-old on a 50-win team. If the Raptors blow things up, then they can afford to be even more patient and swing for upside, which they absolutely did in grabbing a guy who um, for most of the year was projected to go in the top 10, who personally felt like he might go in the top five were he not injured. Um, it's a great value play and upside play at the bottom of the draft, uh, which fits with that strategy. And anywhere in between, he's a guy who has an NBA skill right now in his perimeter defense that could get him on the floor and be useful if absolutely needed. He's young enough at 19 years old and has the upside uh, that he fits into any kind of patient, longer-term scenario. Um, and, you know, in any of these scenarios, the Raptors are up against the tax, and they're, they're in tough financially. Uh, but it's made a lot easier by the fact that Masai Ujiri and company have kept now eight guys on entry-level deals on the roster um, to cheap things out at the back end. Eric, your thoughts on OG Ananobi? Yeah, basically for the reasons you say, I, I really like the pick. I'm not, like, a draft expert. I've made that pretty clear. Um, but... You know, when he was available and at that pick, I felt pretty strongly they were going to take him. And in a way, it reminds me of the Bruno pick and the reasons I like the Bruno pick. And to be clear, he's far more of an established, far, 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 far more of an established project than Bruno Caboclo was, obviously. But at that point, you've got to swing for upside. And where other teams get conservative, uh, where other teams go low you go high upside. Um, and I, I just think his, you know, it's tricky that they keep on taking shooting or prospects whose shots have to be developed. And as of yet, they haven't hit a home run in terms of developing somebody's shot. Norm Powell's gone better, but he's still a 35% three-point shooter for his career. Uh, and we just don't have enough information on the other picks. Uh, to know that. And there are certainly some red flags with Ananobi's shot, shot 52% from the line and free throw, although that, uh, from the free throw line, uh, although that, I think that was based on like 90 attempts. So it's not a huge sample. He got worse the more he took in his second year versus his first year. They seem to think, uh, there's not that much of structural work to do with him. Maybe just sort of streamlining his, uh, his process, his shooting uh, process, and um, getting away from some of the busyness at the beginning of his shot, uh, the busyness during his setup for the shot, kind of. And this is a guy who many people have said might be able to guard one through five in the league. And that is, you know, even if it's two through five or one through four or whatever, 
defensive versatility along with shooting is probably the most important skill in today's NBA. And they you just lost. You know who thinks OG Ananobi can guard one through five? OG Ananobi. Yeah, a lot of confidence. He so in his introductory presser on Friday, he he's a quiet guy, and he's like, I'm pretty confident he's funny underneath there, um, but he's very straightforward and, and kind of quiet. Uh, the only times he really like perked up to say, you know, quote worthy stuff was in talking about individual defense. So that was exciting to hear. Um, he said, you know, you asked him what was more difficult guarding the one or the five, and he, you know, perked up, and he's like, oh, probably the one, but because of all the ball screens, but I love fighting through ball screens. Who um, doesn't love fighting through yeah. ball screens? That's and, what I, that's my favorite thing about pickup games. Yeah, and, he, you know, he's he's only 19, but he's 230 pounds, and he has, he's long, and, and he looks lanky in the upper half, but he has a strong, well-developed lower half, and not to get into too much body talk, but... Um, he has the strength in through his core and through his lower half to bang in the post a little bit. Um, you would hope that the rebounding numbers will come up because of all that, because that is one um, pretty glaring weakness on his profile, comparing him to players he profiles similar to at the NBA level. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a big, big skill. It's a nice swing for upside. Seems like a nice young boy. That's pretty uh, much it. Body Talk, the name of a very good Robin album. There you go. Shout out to Robin. All right, uh, Eric, um, before we let you go. Yeah, you I like the pick. It was good. Any other thoughts heading into free agency? No, nah, the Raptors are, I mean, I'd be surprised if they, there's been talk about like them having a wink, wink, nudge, nudge deal with the Baca. I can't see it. Like it doesn't, it just doesn't pass the smell slash logic test. Um, why it also would they commit to him? On Lowry. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what I was about to say. So I shan't repeat it. Yes. Um, but yeah, so you might be waiting. Uh, my prediction is you're probably waiting as a fan for a few days. Uh, enjoy Canada 150. Have a barbecue. Uh, go jump in a lake. Probably not Lake Ontario, but you know, a, a different lake. And uh, uh, it's gonna be okay. It's yeah. gonna be interesting. So I don't know if we'll we'll try to talk in this space next week um, because a little bit will have happened. Um, I'm going to summer league from there, so you'll probably get a week off of the podcast, Eric. Um, but yeah, we'll, uh, I mean, we'll play next good week by ear. But assuming anything has happened, we'll be uh, we'll be here to break it down. And even yeah, we'll see how the first few days by the Tuesday will be July fourth. Some things probably will have happened, whether they will have happened with the Raptors or not. Hard to say, but we can, uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yes. All right. I don't know why I felt the need to repeat you, but anyway. we'll, uh, we will talk to you guys then. Eric, thank you so much. You, uh, enjoy the parts of your long weekend that you won't be working for. Yeah. I'll just, uh, I'll be anxious about something happening the, uh, the whole weekend, which I guess I would have been anyway. Yeah. You'll week. be comfortable. Every weekend is like that. Yeah. Uh, all right, buddy. Thanks so much. See ya. Thanks. If only to be a reasonable man.